Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Our underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. Thank you for your generous support. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, vice president of radio operations at Lakeshore Public Radio. Art on the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or through our Facebook page. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air, Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. And next on Art in the Air Spotlight, we'd like to welcome Bill Hollier, who is the uh, board chair for the Center for Creative Solutions in Michigan City. But he wants to talk about an event that's coming up, and it's a wonderful thing called the Northwest Indiana Poetry Showcase. It's a juried event. And uh, we're going to talk about that and how it's been in the past and, well, some of the differences with COVID. Bill, welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight. Well, it's very good to be here with you. Esther, so good to be with you as well. You too, Bill. So tell us a little bit about, uh, just briefly, the Creative Center uh, for Solutions and then the poetry uh, showcase that you have and a little history of it and, you know, how to get involved with it. Sure, sure. The Center for Creative Solutions is based in Michigan City. And the mission statement of the center is uh, to help people discover creative solutions to their personal, professional, business, and organization uh, and community challenge problems. And each year, uh, for the last five or six years, we've celebrated World Creativity and Innovation Week, which is always based around uh, Leonardo da Vinci's birthday, uh, considering him to be one of the great creators of the world. And his birthday was the 15th of April. So this year, in particular, the uh, uh, the, the World Creativity Innovation Week is uh, April 15th through the 21st. And we always, in the past, have uh, hosted various events to help people uh, realize their creative potential 
and perhaps showcase a little bit of their creative uh, of ideas that they've had and the problems that they solved. But in, in my mind, uh, the arts were always important when it came to creative solutions. A lot of people talk about the fact that we need uh, more creativity today to get us out of some of the problems that we find ourselves in, maybe global warming or the COVID-19 crisis. They think about, uh, we need more STEM schools, we need more math and science education, which is important. But to me, the arts are, are the spark that lends itself to the uh, to the, uh, the mathematics and the science to really bring out that creative process and get the creative juices flowing. So Well, they're intricately intertwined. They're intertwined, yeah. yes. And many people that you think of as being very creative, including da Vinci, uh, were also artists and musicians. Da Vinci was a... a a fine musician, as well as a fine a chef, believe it or not. And that, so they, uh, the arts were very important to many creative people. I think we got a good example of that on Inauguration Day with a young lady and her poetry. Yes. I mean, yes, uh, we I did. mean that, that really uh, brought the arts to the forefront. So tell us yes. some details about the past of the Poetry Showcase and how it moves on from here. Esther, is this our third or fourth year? It's our fourth year. Our fourth year. This oh, year no, it's the it's fourth or fifth year. I'm trying to... Yeah. So quickly, we usually choose a theme and then, but also let people uh, kind of go afield and and, and write about whatever they choose to. So we're talking about this year uh, as a theme, reflections on the year 2020. And I think especially uh, this year, there'll be a lot of folks with uh, some feelings that they would like put on paper and share with the world about uh, living through the year 2020 and into the future. Most definitely. And that and um, we like to open up the poetry contest to kindergarten through 12th grade. And we have um, a series of judges who will be giving designations of first, second, and third place for each grade. So kindergarten will have three um, first, second, and third, you know, or one first, second, and third place on through. But this year, do you want to tell them our exciting news? Well, this year we've decided, and we've talked about this for a while, that we would like to include adult poetry as well. So we want to hear what, what everyone has to say out there. And we want to include the, the Northwest Indiana area before we've yeah. uh, generally uh, uh, worked with Michigan City folks and LaPorte County. But we'd like and, to... Yes, we'd like to, we'd like to welcome the Northwest Indiana region. And we want to say it needs to be original work. And you can um, write in any style of poetry you would like, um, haiku to a longer form. We did have some interest in haiku last year. We did. So, and this year, depending on where we are in the world in April, we'll, we'll either have the showcase uh, hosted at the Nest, which we did in the last several years, or we'll do it Zoom in this way. And uh, and uh, we have our local newspaper, The Beecher, who's, uh, who have said that they would publish the winning poet poems. And uh, also WIMS Radio, Rick Federici will uh, let the poets read their poems on air. And also here, I think, on Esther's program as well. Yeah, so, I think Larry and I um, would love to welcome right. the recipients uh, to also speak their poems. Exactly, exactly. really want to encourage the the local poets. We're almost here to wrap up. Tell us how they can find out information about that in these last 30 seconds here, Bill. Okay, you can email me at william.hallier, H-A-L-L-I-A-R, at gmail.com, or Esther? At the Nest Michigan City at gmail.com. Michigan City's all spelled out. 
Thanks to Bill Hollier from the Northwest Indiana Poetry Showcase. Deadline for submission is March 31st, and the showcase will be on April 18th. Thanks again for being on Art in the Air Spotlight. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And we'd like to welcome to Art on the Air. Uh, she's developed a lifestyle brand that combines her two passions, design and yoga. Each of her pieces contains her signature handcrafted crochet details. Uh, it has movement in mind. And as a yoga instructor and the mom of three boys, she loves how it works on her ability to design pieces that can flatter and be worn in a variety of ways. I'd like to welcome to Art on the Air, Becky Mokoski. Hello, hello. Aloha. Aloha. Well, we'd like to hear, Becky, about your story and your journey, how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us about that, your whole origin story. Gotcha. Okay. So I am, I live in Chicago currently, but um, I'm actually from, I originate or hail from Southern Illinois. So there's a town there called Effingham. Um, and yes, that's the real name, <laughs> real name of the town. I get used to get asked all the time, like, oh, it can't be that bad. And I didn't really get the joke because I was, I was from there. So everybody knew it. And then when I went to college, I was like, no, that's really the name. That's really the name of the town. So anyways, I'm from Southern Illinois. Um, I actually studied uh, theater and dance and um, Spanish, believe it or not, at um, Millican University in Decatur. And then I moved to Chicago shortly after that. And um, definitely I did some theater. I did some singing and dancing and all that kind of stuff on stage. And then uh, met my husband and we started a family. And so I have three boys now that are 10, 8 and 6. And somewhere along the line in there, (laughs) probably about 10 years ago, when my um, my oldest was a newborn, um, I basically started crocheting hats. The current the job I was working at when I was when I was pregnant, they were asking. I was allowed to kind of sit at the front desk and crochet, and so I um, I would do that. And somebody came up and asked if they could buy a hat, <laughs> and it kind of started. Believe it or not, I was like, oh, this is. I maybe I could do that when I because I knew I wasn't going to be working anymore once I had my son. And so I it started with hats, just lots and lots of crochet hats. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where it started. And then over the over the course of quite a few years, I got tired of making crochet hats and became really intrigued. Uh, my husband would probably say obsessed <laughs> with <laughs> Finding ways to make crochet a really unique detail because, you know, I live in Chicago, so we do wear hats most months out of the year, but I, um, I've always loved fashion and design and things like that. So I started looking up how to make my own patterns and how to sew, you know, kind of sew some clothes and then try to find ways to incorporate crochet into it. You know, before yeah. we move on yeah. from that, you know, your uh, things, you mentioned something, and of course, since I'm a retired musical theater director, um, I'm interested in your theater's in- interest. And of course, you attended Millican. We actually, uh, up here at the Center for Visual Performing Arts Theater at the Center, we used to hire interns for the summer when I was doing summer stock in the 90s to work on oh, our shows. Yeah. But anyway, tell us a little about what you performed in and, and things like that. Gotcha. So I was, before, um, before the kids, I performed in... 
Um, when, and of course, Big Noise Theater is based out in when or based up in Winnetka. They do right. their sh- most of their shows out in Des Plaines. Um, I perform. I've performed at a little theater in Saint Charles called Steel Beam Theater. So just kind of various places around uh, around the city. I did some children's theater with Big Noise. Um, so I did. I did. Those are kind of the main ones that I started to do repeat shows. And then um, when you <laughs> when you become five or six months pregnant, it becomes a little harder to cast you. So, <laughs> well, you, did so you do mostly musicals or, or straight plays? Mostly musicals. I actually started to kind of dabble in straight plays um, when I found out I was pregnant with my with my first son. And the, you know, the the thought was that I might go back to it someday. And then I found another a couple different passions. And um, and honestly, don't uh, I don't miss it. <laughs> I really, you know, how some people say that they miss it. I just I don't. It was late nights. It was Tech Week. Was well, you know, <laughs> if you're in the world, you know it's. And I honestly just, I don't, I just don't, I don't miss it. I love to go watch it. I love to go support it, but I am, I'm more on the audience side now and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm not a good audience so, so member. Becky, <laughs> yeah. so, Becky, when did yoga enter your life? Did it happen at the same time while you were studying dance? It actually didn't. So when I was pregnant, I was doing some prenatal yoga and that was oddly enough, kind of the first um, regular yoga practice that I had. And I, um, so I did a little prenatal yoga and really liked it. And what was funny to me is, so I did gymnastics for years and years and very, you know, body awareness, very, you know, but it was very external, um, on how you land things and how you hold things and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yoga was kind of one of the first times that I was asked, you know, at, from the instructor basically to close your eyes and kind of ask, what your body is telling you about how you feel. And I, it was a little, it kind of caught me off guard because in gymnastics and dance, it's more about the correct position and doing it the correct way. So you can, you know, either if you're in the chorus, make sure that you look exactly like the people around you or in gymnastics to make sure you get, you know, the highest score. I was in competitive gymnastics, but yoga was the first time that I was really kind of asked to tune in to what your body tells you rather than what you're telling it to do. Right. And, and I loved with, it. Don't you think with like gymnastics, you're also ignoring that your body hurts? Yes. You know, yeah. To, yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. And if you get hurt, you, you need to heal, but not, but you need to heal enough to go back and compete again. Not, you know what I mean? So yes, very much. So it was just kind of a, and it was a different, it was a completely different body awareness. And it's the more I learn about it that, and that was, um, 10, I've been teaching now for 10 years. And so after I had my son, I said, I told my husband, I said, I think I really want to teach yoga. Um, and I said it a couple of times and he was like, okay, I feel like you are very, like, you're serious about this. You've said it quite a few times. And I said, I just, I feel it helped me a whole lot and it still helps me. It helped me kind of through just lots of things, you know, anxiety after my kids were born and that kind of stuff changes. And like I said, to be asked how your body feels and not tell it how to feel is a very kind of empowering thing to do. Well, you're a mother of three boys, so that has to keep you pretty active anyway. Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. So yes, they are, 
They're, um, they're fantastic. They're, we're lucky that they are in, um, in person learning. So they go to a fairly small school. So they're in person learning, but they'll do some yoga when the, well, actually when the quarantine first started, um, each one of them, we would kind of alternate and they would do some yoga videos and they loved it. We would record them and we would put them up for, um, the, the school because I was teaching yoga in the school before it all closed down. And so when it closed down once a week, we would make a, a family yoga video and we would put it up and they, they loved it. They love to be a part of all, everything. So, <laughs> you know, we ask a lot of our guests right now and we usually ask this later in the interview, but we'll go ahead and hit that now about how COVID has uh, impacted you like personally, family, business and everything like that. And the second part of that is, what are you looking forward to after it's all over? Right. Right. So um, COVID has, like a, like all of us, kind of required me to slow down quite a bit. Um, I like to be very involved in a hundred different things. I, I enjoy being busy. Um, but there's so many things that I feel like I could start this sentence with, I'm not mad at COVID for. And a lot of those things are, you know, obviously e-learning at home suddenly was not ideal. However, it also really kind of helped me see what kind of students my kids were, maybe where they were struggling in school a little bit, um, that kind of thing. And we did let it the weather got warm pretty quickly after everything shut down. And so we just spent a lot of time playing board games and just being outside together. And we still got to travel a little bit. We just did it very safely. And we went places where we could just go hiking as a family and um, all of that. So it's it put in perspective. And even with my business, it made me pull back. I, I didn't realize that I felt the need to, you know, make so many designs each season. And then when COVID hit, and I just didn't have the time to do it, I thought, well, I don't, I don't need to, I'm not, I'm not in Nordstrom. I'm not looking to be in, in, you know, Macy's on all the racks. So, so why, why am I, why am I doing that? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, so actually we're, and then I guess what I'm looking forward to, I am looking forward to um, traveling in a, let's go like the, my boys are dying to go to, you know, theme parks and places like that <laughs> where you could go there. It's just not the same. We actually had a trip to Disney world that got completely canceled and I'd love to pick that back up and take them places. But we went to a restaurant last night for the first time in four months and you would, my kids were just floored by it. Like we haven't been here in so long. <laughs> so you know, it has a, it, the, the quarantine has allowed for more dedicated time to children or projects. So it yes. is, it's been a great time for reflection. Yes. So you started so when did you start Mugs and Mantras? And are you still doing that? <laughs> I am. I am. So I started that in um, December, end of November, beginning of December. And it was something that I started. It's on IG Live every Friday at 9 a.m. And um, I love to chat with people. I'm very chatty. And part of what I was missing of my yoga practice and so believe it or not, my um Yoga and my designs intersect more and more lately. I'm, I'm designing pieces that I wear to yoga and I'm designing pieces for people that are in my class that have a special request. So they're kind of intertwining more and more. And 
um, mugs and mantras started because I miss, not only do I miss my other instructors and students, but I miss, um, in-person art shows. I mean, you know, like that's where, that's where I met you, Esther. I love to be at art shows and just talk to people and hear their inspiration and all that kind of stuff. So now on Fridays, I, I chat. It's only about 20, 30 minutes long. And I just find out, we grab a cup of coffee and I find out kind of, what their mantra or their in their kind of favorite quote that they repeat to themselves to, to basically just stay grounded or keep on track with whatever they're doing. And it's not always yoga instructors I talk to. I, I um, artists and designers and teachers and and I and I so far no one has said the same quote. No one has re- recommended the same book. So it's been a very fun way to connect to people again. I know I've listened. It's really delightful. Oh, good. Thank it. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, and it just I always leave Fridays used to be my day that I was never I would I'm, I had to like force myself to go into the studio and finish work, and now Fridays they start off with that, and I find that the rest of the day I'm like okay let's go let's do it let's let's do the work what I think it's Seth Godin that says that right do the work just do the work (laughs) well and also during this time it's it's actually the perfect time for the type of clothing that you do as we're feeling Mm -hmm. that um we can be more relaxed and we Mm -hmm. are realizing the benefit of having clothes that allow us to move more freely. And so, um, so how, so have your designs, so you've really, okay, I'm going to go back to the crocheting of the hats because there's a question that I have about that. So those first crocheted hats, had you added on the appliques to them at this point? Because I hadn't, um, but the, even the very first crochet hats, I got done with like my first one and it just wasn't, I mean, it was nice. It was warm. It was all of that. But um, even my very first one that I still, um, oddly enough, have in my basement, I went back and added some hand embroidery. There's some like X's on it and some things like that. So I've always added. And then from there, it kind of turned into adding embellishments onto them. Um, so I always... I'm big on kind of celebrating your your uniqueness and it doesn't have to be in a loud way and it does you know you don't have to wear the brightest colored shirt and the you know a pattern hat to be to feel like you're unique and you're put together and so that's where um the crochet details the embellishments on the hats and then the crochet details on the clothes take it to that place of um well, I they're very happy them. They're Thank very you. Happy, Thank you. Know. you. Yeah. That's what so drew me to them. I mean, other than, you know, your smiling face and, and <laughs> joy, the, the, the hats were just happy. And yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's what, that was the, that was the goal is to add that little, that little smile, I guess, when people yeah. kind of shop, <laughs> shop and so look what, through them. What type of fibers do you use both for the hats and for the crochet details and for the clothing? So for the, um, it depends for the hats and I've kind of pulled away from making adult hats so much because they do take so much time. And, um, I've just kind of pulled away from doing it a whole lot. Uh, a lot of times too, I just don't have the storage to store it all at the end of the year. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when you make all this stuff, if you don't sell it all, then you better find a big old 13 gallon bin to put it in. (laughs) Trust me. I know Um, my wife knits and we have bins right? and bins of scarves oh, and sure. things. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sure. 
I've got like drawers that have yarn hidden away in it. And so I try, yes. So I, I feel, I feel for her. Um, but what basically I, like I said, I pull back from making the hats, but when I do make the hats, the kids hats always are cotton or acrylic. Um, I make sure they don't have any kind of wool in them just because it can be such an irritant on their, on their little heads. Um, and then a lot of the adult hats do have wool in them just because they do have extra, it adds extra warmth. Um, and then the clothing pieces, um, that I make, I'm wearing one right now. I know that we're on the radio, but so you guys can see it. So this is one of the crochet details that goes down the front center. And these are just the BMO shrug is what it's called. And it's just kind of a one size layered piece that goes over your long sleeve shirt. And these are all done with acrylic. And the reason I use acrylic is because all of my pieces are machine washable, um, nobody got time to be drying things on a rack anywhere. <laughs> so it just doesn't, it's just not my lifestyle to like hang things to, I don't even know if we have a hanging rack to dry yeah. things. <laughs> so do you, do you crochet them separately and then, um, sew them on or do you crochet them directly to the fabric? So I crochet them separately and sew them on. Usually a lot of my pieces about hats since, so I cut and, I do my own patterning and then I cut and sew everything together as well. So it literally comes in a giant roll of fabric and I, I do it start to finish. Um, and so about usually about halfway through the sewing process usually is where the crochet piece gets added on. And then I take it back to the sewing machine and kind of add my label or do the hemming and that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then it's ready and then it's ready to go. So it's very, they're very wearable. I use a lot of, uh, sweatshirt fabric. So very kind of cozy fabric. All, all my pieces have some sort of stretch to them, stretch knit, things like that. So they're very wearable, very, um, comfortable. I love the zero waste that you talk about too. Yes. That yes. That's, that's another used. thing that's bins and bins of it. So I haven't quite figured out what to do with all of, all of the scraps, but basically, um, I start with the giant piece of fabric and I cut it into either the women's clothes or I make kids pants as well. So basically the big pieces get cut into the kids, um, wear. And then from there, I've got a couple different things I do with the smaller pieces. I make headbands when we get down to kind of small pieces and then any other teeny tiny piece gets, um, put in a giant bin. And I have bins and bins of scraps right now that are kind of hopefully going to turn into some designs that I can stuff them into. But a lot of polyester fabric doesn't, uh, well, polyester fabric doesn't, it doesn't biodegrade. So it just sits there forever. So, and the fashion industry is, I believe it's the third most wasteful industry as far as waste. And I, um, I'm not going to be a part of that. <laughs> so, so I keep all the scraps and use them for other things. Now you make kids pants called boo bottoms. Is that what those I are? I do. Yeah. Tell I us do. a little They're bit about that. Describe bottoms. that for yeah. our. <laughs> <laughs> so those are actually probably my most popular thing. I get adult requests on them uh, a lot too. <laughs> and I always think, where are you wearing these pants? But that have a monster face on the butt, but I don't, <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. Right. So the monster pants are super colorful. They're nothing like Esther was talking about joy. I mean, they are nothing but fun. They um, are different fun patterns. Each leg is a different fun pattern. And then on the bum of them is a monster face. And the crochet detail on those is the eye. So there's either one eye or there's two little eyes for the monster face. And um, they are, they're, they're fun. They're 
super fun. My kids are like too old to, they won't wear them anymore. <laughs> They're like, mom. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> so you have to have another uh, model in your life, right? Right, exactly. I <laughs> I, I'm looking at a picture so on your website and I see one that has, uh, that's in there. So it's got like a little crochet, uh, almost like a button-like thing right on the bum there. Yes. Yeah, right on the bum. And then there's a mouth. Um, a lot of them have mustaches on the faces or little bows over the eyes so they're very they're just fun and again they're that stretchy fabric they're machine because you know they're machine washable and they just they're so so durable that you can pass them i've got people that have contacted me that bought them when i first started making them and they're like we've had them for five years and now their brother and sister wears them and i'm like perfect that makes me so happy that's the goal (laughs) do you make a a, a clothing pieces by request someone approaches you about something and Oh, for sure. Yes, I definitely make clothing pieces. I do a lot of custom color stuff where um, people like a piece, they just want it in different colors. Um, and a lot of times I have fabric, so much fabric kind of in my basement that I'll I'll buy a couple yards of just to see. So a lot of times I can just message them and say, hey, how about we use this fabric? And, you know, they'll say, okay, I have quite a few repeat clients that um, we've created kind of a relationship where they trust that I'll be able to put it together and add the crochet details in the right places. And, um, and I love that part too. So Becky, who taught you to crochet? So that actually goes back to my theater days. (laughs) Um, I was getting motion sickness. I was on a tour. I was in a tour of a Christmas Carol on the East coast And we were driving through these beautiful parts of Vermont and I started getting motion sickness so bad that within 10 minutes of the drive, um, I felt like I was going to get sick. And so my seatmate, she said, well, maybe do this and it'll keep your focus. And it worked. And now, even to this day, you know, 13 years later, um, I still crochet a lot when I'm in the car just to make sure that I don't get motion sickness. So have you ever knitted versus crochet at all? I haven't. It's on my list. It's on my to-do list <laughs> to learn to knit. I have the knitting needles. I have all the yarn. I just, you know, maybe uh, maybe I'll just stick with crochet for now. But I have it on my list. I'd love to learn. <laughs> now, my wife I says that she likes to learn, would like to learn how to crochet versus knitting because she knits mm-hmm. all the time. So. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's your your first love a lot of times is what you stick with. So I, it's not it's not on the forefront of my list. It's so it's farther down my bucket list. <laughs> Anything you're looking forward to maybe doing or making that you haven't done yet? New challenges uh, uh, in terms of your designs? Well, I am excited to start. Um, I'm actually going to try to add in some kid designs in the next um for a couple months here. And I'm also getting ready to launch um, my own yoga bag that holds uh, a yoga mat and there's a bag attached to it and there's crochet cords. And that's kind of been my heart lately. It's been where they all, everything I feel like has finally collided um, into that. People are doing a lot of yoga from their home. They're not necessarily packing up a yoga bag. So it's taken a little bit of a back burner for now. And um, I'm really interested in starting to do maybe some more kids clothes, some more uh, fun kids pieces, and then start working on some one size summer pieces for, um, for women. 
So what are you going to have at the Chicago Artisans Market? Um, so I don't know. Oh. <laughs> a lot of um, had, usually smaller pieces, headbands. I've got like leather earrings and things like that. That I is another zero waste product. So um, and then my one size tops. I always pack those up and bring them with me. The Gina top is a super fun one that is just complimentary on almost everybody I've seen put it on. So that's a that's a must have for me too. So that's coming up. March 6th and 7th? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where is it going to be at? Uh, That's a good question. I can't remember. (laughs) I should look back (laughs) at my email. (laughs) I can see if I can. Let's see. Well, uh, real quick, we're almost ready to wrap up here, Becky. So tell us how people can uh, get in touch with you, uh, website addresses yeah. and such. My So my website is just BMO Designs, and that's B-E-M-O, first two letters of my first name, first two of my last name. And um, so that's my website, and you can contact me there. And then I'm on Instagram, which is BMO Designs as well. So just at BMO Designs. And that's where Mugs and Mantras takes place every Friday, too. But those are my two places. And um, you can email or direct message me on Instagram. I respond to all of it. So, um, so yeah, those are the two main places to find me. And then when we're up and running in art shows, you know, this summer again, hopefully I can, you can find me there too, but I, I usually put those on my website if I'm going to participate in those. So. Very good. Well, we really appreciate yeah. you coming on Art of the Air, uh, Becky Mokarski uh, from BMO Designs, and uh, she yeah. can make something for you if you contact her and something custom and wild, take a look at her website. Becky, thank you so much for being on Art of the thank Air. Thank you. Thank you. It's great seeing you. Thank you. Great to see you too. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Next on Art on the Air, we have Wendy Marciniak, president of the Chesterton Arts Center, and she's brought along with her from the IU School of Arts, the director of arts programming and engagement, Lauren Pacheco. Welcome to Art on the Air. Thank you. Aloha, welcome. Well, Wendy, we'll start just briefly with you. You have uh, uh, some things happening at things, and we'll talk about the current exhibit. Anything else coming up uh, in while we have you on uh, besides this current exhibit uh, down the road and like summer and gala and things like that? Absolutely. Uh, in March, we will welcome the Doolin Photography Club back to both galleries. And in April, I know a lot of people will be happy to hear that the Doolin Weavers Guild will be bringing their show back to the Art Center, uh, possibly with a virtual fashion show. This is always a huge event. And of course, we didn't have it last year. And I hear the ladies have been weaving away, so they're (laughs) anxious to show what they've been doing. And also in April, we will have uh, in the back gallery a showing of all of the work of our student artists here at the Art Center. So we're really excited about that. And in May, we will welcome the Doolin Schools K through eight student art show in both galleries. And in June, the Women's Club will be holding their art competition, uh, their 62nd year, I do believe. So uh, definitely all the artists out there should be preparing for that. That's always a wonderful show to be a part of. And we are hosting the art fair again this year, and we're planning away on that. And we've had a lot of interest from artists, so we know that artists have been busy and are really anxious to get their work out there and, and be back in the swing of art fairs. So we're really uh, thinking positively about holding the art fair again at Dogwood Park, and the dates on that are August 7th and 8th. 
So we're busy. We're planning. We're moving forward. Very good. Well, uh, uh, Lauren, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, and also, I'd like you to talk to our audience before we get into the actual exhibit coming up about uh, IU Northwest uh, School of Arts. And I know from a brief time that I was there kind of consulting that it broke away and kind of went out on its own from the School of Arts Science, new building and everything. And your job as a uh, Director of Arts Programming and Engagement, and a little bit about your own background. Let's start with that. Sure. Well, I am a, uh, a new Hoosier. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago and um, lived for a bit on the, on the West Coast before returning home. But about four years ago, I moved to Gary, Indiana. And um, in Chicago, I had a pretty rigorous uh, and engaged arts practice working as a arts administrator, um, doing a bunch of cultural policy work, um, uh, doing some sort of uh, public art curatorial work. I'm also, um, uh, I have an independent arts practice as a conceptual-based artist, um, but I have very deep roots um, in Chicago, um, siblings who are creative practitioners themselves, either art educators or Chicago-based muralists. And, um, and I moved to uh, Northwest Indiana um, wanting to have a separation um, from my work in Chicago um, and and living in in uh, in, in Gary, um, but I, um, as most folks who who come to visit the city, are um, just uh, really compelled and moved by um, the the physical landscape um, and the and the blight and the um, uh, disinvestment that has um, occurred in, in the past thirty to to forty years, right? So I'm, I'm very happy to be living and working in, in Gary in Northwest Indiana, and I'm very proud to um, be working at the IUN School of the Arts. Well, tell us um, a little bit about the School of the Arts. I know that uh, sure. there was a whole brand new building, and again, I was there for about 18 months uh, helping with the theater operation, but it's a theater, they have a whole great facilities and uh, everything. So tell us a little bit about that and the reorganization of it as a School of Arts as a standalone. Sure. So the School of the Arts is really a brainchild of Dean David Clayman, who um, returned to IU Northwest um, after a uh, serving as a, a dean for a School of the Arts on the East Coast. And um, um, it's it's new in, in all types of ways, right, from its um, programmatic and curricular ambitions to the amazing $40 million um building, which is called Arts and Sciences. So half of the building is dedicated to um, sciences and health um, and biology um, uh, academic curriculum supported by Ivy Tech. And the other half of the building is supported um, and, and, and really um, our students in, are indulged in all um, a School of the Arts amenities from an experimental black box theater to a 500 seat state of the art with cutting edge um, equipment. Um, to ceramic studios and a fab lab with 3D printers and CNC routers and die cutters, every tool that you can imagine for exploring and experimenting um, as a student artist and, and as a faculty member. So it's, it's quite a phenomenal space that, in my opinion, because I, I did go to art school, um, really rivals um, some of the other schools that exist in the region. So it's really a fantastic environment uh, for students and faculty. Did they bring back the casting forge or is there still, there used to be? With, with Neil Goodman, Neil Goodman, our, yeah, so Neil Goodman retired. He's an emeritus. Um, we do have a forging, um, a sort of room in, in one of our sculpture, um, labs. So I, I think that sort of future planning and thinking about how we can best use it, how we can tap the appropriate talent to help instruct students, 
Um, but yeah, we've got forging, we've got spray booths. It's really a fantastic um, facility for folks to, um, um, you know, have at their fingertips. And I think many people um, are quite surprised at how um, state of the art our, our campus really is. Um, but while we are um, um, operating as our independent school, um, as you know, in, in, in the creative sector, we are really embrace intersectionality, right? So working across uh, disciplines, working across boundaries. And so um, while, you know, we are, you know, deeply, you know, uh, rooted in working in our discipline, you will have students and faculty, you know, engaging folks in the social work department and the sciences department and the humanities department. So it's really, uh, which is a bit of a different from a traditional school of the arts experience, right? Um, and so it's it's really a, a beautiful 40 acre campus. It's it's crazy when you think about it, um, you know, being in sort of the center of, of Gary and, and occupying so much space. So now you have a new exhibit coming out at the Chester Art Center. That's why we have both of you on is a pop-up exhibit. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what's involved with it, what the theme is and some of the artists. Sure, so in, in fall of last year, um, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, Dean Clement and I sat and we started to reassess and, and sort of a, a repivoting of our um, programmatic goals. And uh, during the summer, we decided to think about um, the School of the Arts and IUN making really you know, dramatic and significant um, investments in the surrounding communities. And so we decided to work with a, an architecture, a, socially a social practice design um, architecture group from Chicago and uh, work with them to develop a sort of mobile, vertical and horizontal exhibition display system that we could travel indoors and outdoors. So if there's a vacant lot, if there's an empty parking lot, if there's just an extra wide sidewalk, we would essentially construct these walls and different types of little nooks and crannies um, and sort of um, occupy space. It's in this sort of um, the field of creative placemaking or creative um, place sharing or placekeeping, right? And um, so we, we kicked that off in, in fall um, in Gary, Hammond and Hobart um, and you know, just presented a series of different types of hands-on experiential activities for folks. And Chesterton was on my, my schedule to, uh, to visit and pop up in, in the fall, but we couldn't make that happen. But Wendy um, embraced our concept with, with open arms and um, really gave me an opportunity to curate a show, not only celebrating Black History Month um, and, and presenting sort of a contemporary perspective of living Black artists, um, paying homage to some historical archival um, uh, visuals um, for the community to, to uh, experience, um, but then also um, traveling a show that we had on campus and was also on display at the Lubeznik Center in Michigan City, which focused around um, the, the art of sign painting and hand painting. And it was a call, a national, uh, international call by a group in Chicago called Heart and Bone Signs and um, encouraged sign painters to submit protest paper signs um, in, in response to the social um, and civil unrest, in response to COVID-19. Um, and, and Wendy was um, is, is bold and brave and I, and I appreciate her, her leadership on this one. Um, and, and we did it. And, and I, I think it looks um, quite nice and I'm really proud of, of this partnership. Yeah, I, uh, and just curious, Wendy, back to you. Um, how did they? How did you become aware of the this exhibit? Uh, you know, and actually, kind of bringing it into Chesterton. 
Well, actually, it was through a mutual contact that we have, Maura Durham from the Doonland Chamber, and she had reached out to the Chesterton Branding Leadership Team, which I serve with on her as part of the Arts and Beautification Committee about possibly having the pop-up in the park downtown. And so time kind of ran out on us for that with weather. And so Lauren and I kind of got together and thought, well, maybe, you know, there's something that we could do indoors. And the more we talked about it, the more that we felt like February would be the perfect month to have this and to celebrate Black History Month. And I have to tell you, this exhibit is so moving and beautiful and different. And, uh, As a graphic designer way back in the day, I can appreciate all of the really fine art that is in these posters. I mean, anybody who's had to help a child make a poster for school or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's not as easy as it looks. So uh, I'm really appreciating all of the art involved in these posters, plus the fact that they're so moving and beautiful. And uh, I just really hope that everybody can maybe stop in and and just walk through and stand in front of them. And certainly there have to be some that just really speak to you and move you. And then the exhibit in the back gallery is really fascinating too. Um, Lauren has brought in the black ABCs and it's, it's just really amazing to stand there and look at all those photos and and know the story behind it and what it means. And uh, there's also a little interactive display where people can actually open part of it and take a peek at what's inside. And uh, there are some pieces that were borrowed from the DuSable Museum. And maybe Lauren can talk a little bit about that. Sure. So um, the Black ABCs, um, there was a really fantastic show that was curated in at the University of Chicago in Washington Park um, about two years ago. Um, but it's a private collection of um, 26 cards representing the alphabet. And in 1970, 1971, two teachers who were working in uh, primarily Black school in the south side of Chicago wanted to create an educational tool um, that was representative of, of their of their community, right? And so moving beyond the Jack and Jill, A is for Apple, B is for ball concept. And so you'll have A for Afro, G for groovy. Um, and, and it's real, it's actual, you know, children who lived in that area, who attended this school. Um, it's, it, was, it was kind of a ubiquitous educational tool in, in urban black and brown um, public school systems. You can buy the entire set for $26. Um, today, it's, it's, a, it's public domain, so you can buy them, um, um, uh, a copy ver- versions of them on Etsy. Um, we were able to get an actual um, uh, collection framed and on display. It's really quite lovely uh, to see. And, and, and the show in Chicago that I referenced earlier, they were actually able to find some of the living children who were uh, featured in those cards. It was, it's really quite beautiful to see. Um, and then we've got uh, Ryan Bennett, who is uh, a BFA alum of uh, School of the Arts, a ceramicist, potter. And we have some of his really beautiful um, pieces in this sort of, uh, it's, we call it our cabinet of curiosity. Literally, folks can go and open the cabinet in the gallery, you know, and really kind of challenging these notions of how you interact in gallery and museum spaces, right, where things are off limits, you can't touch things. So while that is the case for some objects, um, we do want to encourage people to pick up a book 
um, that we've um, made available in, in, the, in the back gallery and then open that cabinet and have a really you know, unique experience. Um, we also have a, a vinyl a, a mural that was designed by uh, Professor Kelly Kanaga in the School of the Arts, who is also a graphic designer and uh, typography-based um, artist. And she um, really created this amazing sort of design. It's just a sort of light back backdrop um, for the exhibition. Um, and then we also have um, on loan from the Floating Museum, a collective in Chicago who just came out of the uh, a major exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Art in downtown Chicago um, with some of their 3D objects, which are um, 3D replicas of um, sculptural objects that were found in the DuSable Museum of African-American um, culture. So um, you've got some real heavy hitters in there. Again, paying homage to um, some of our faculty and our alumni who are making you know fantastic contributions in the creative sector. So it's, it's quite lovely. I, I enjoyed it, I enjoyed it. Lauren and Wendy, are there any plans to document or televise for viewing of the exhibit online for people who cannot? Because this sounds like one that should be able to be seen from outside of our community as well. Sure. So Wendy and I um, are absolutely committed to you know creating a virtual experience for folks. Um, we know it's obviously an uncomfortable time for people to come out of their homes. So, you know, we, like everyone else out in there in the creative landscape, we're embracing different technologies. So um, we will, we've done uh, time lapses of our installation. We um, will finish some of our archival documentation tomorrow. So we'll have some really fantastic high-res images available online and on our respective websites. I will also be um, creating a 360 uh, 3D virtual tour, um, which we, we've done in, in the past shows in, in our campus galleries which essentially allows you to sort of narrow in and focus in on actual details of pieces. Um, and you can, you know, obviously using your mouse or your finger on your smart device, sort of navigate and move around this 3D dimension in a really unique way. So it's moving away from this flat experience. Yeah, um, and then that. we'll also do some gallery walks, some, some, some digital gallery walks and sort of, you know, talking a bit more about, um, about the artworks on display. Perfect. And I'm really grateful that Lauren is able to do that for us. Um, and I really do think that it's important that we get it out there online in case people can't make it here either due to COVID or the weather or whatever. And uh, that way, you know, we'll be able to share it with the world. And Lauren, uh, I do believe that some of the signs are available for sale. Is that correct? That's right. Um, not all of the signs are, but a, a good majority of them are. Um, and we will have information available at the gallery and we'll also post it on our respective websites and, and Facebook. We at the School of the Arts are um, super aggressive and crazy about posting on Instagram and Facebook. So uh, we, you know, we, we post several times a day um, video and static images. So we will make sure that um, all of that stuff is, is available for folks to, to check out and, and purchase um, as well. No. And because of COVID, we're not having a traditional opening uh, uh, like you would. Uh, but the exhibit will be there through February 28th. Where is it? There's plans to move it to another place after this exhibit? Do you? Yeah. So um, in addition to it uh, uh, being on display, the, the Art and Action Lab, so these modular units that we've created um, um, are also on display at the South Shore Arts Center. And so the idea behind these modular units will, will be, you know, uh, sort of threefold. One, 
um, an initiative that, you know, I will sort of work very closely to curate um, as a representative of School of the Arts too. We will um, place them on loan and lend them out to other cultural and civic and community-based sites so that they then can then curate and tailor some of their programming um, while integrating the Arts and Action Lab, um, which I think is really quite nice. So whether folks want to just simply hang things on the wall or sort of project um, you know, or, or use them as a backdrop in, in some interesting way. We really want folks to, to feel that they have some ownership over these objects. Um, and then the last is, um, you know, folks who just really, you know, want to wrap and curate an entire exhibition around um, these types of um, uh, the mobile units, which, you know, becomes entirely their ownership. Um, so the South Shore Arts, we dropped off three units um, two vertical exhibition units and one that's sort of a table with really cool bookshelves. Uh, so it's it's part of their upcoming um, uh, uh, poster exhibition and, and I don't have any role in it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm super excited to see it. Um, and then after uh, South Shore, probably in, in March, uh, we will um, uh, begin to roll out some of our, our more outdoor programming. We'll probably pop up again at the Gary Housing Authority um, in one of their senior centers. And, um, and I'm really looking forward to, to going um, back outdoors. Um, even if the weather is, you know, a bit cold, I think it, you know, encourages people to get out of the house, you know, move away from the screen and, you know, walk a few blocks from home in the, the library parking lot, right? Or the parking lot of a school that's been closed for, you know, several months um, and to sort of oh, have a walk about and, and explore um, and have a new experience. So uh, we will re release that schedule um, on our Facebook and uh, website um, shortly. Uh, what do you have going on in your galleries on campus? You have two, I think, two galleries that are functioning? Yeah, we have two galleries. We have a, a very sort of modern uh, four-wall, white-wall ga gallery space in the Arts and Sciences building, which is very modern. Um, and then we also have the Savannah Gallery, um, which is more of a shotgun style, um, wood floors, lower ceiling, much more of a traditional space. Um, so right now we will be installing uh, two new exhibitions um, because um, uh, campus learning um, sort of doesn't kick back up until next week. And so we've been using this time to, to plan and organize and move things around. Um, so we will have a solo show by an artist um, named Regeni Gloria um, who also um, had some artworks on display at the Rubesnik Art Center in one of their last uh, really compelling exhibitions. Um, and in the Savannah Gallery, it's a big secret. So you're going to have to just stay <laughs> tuned. <laughs> um, but we're really um, excited about some of our programming, extending beyond the galleries on campus and, and moving into the library, moving into these non-traditional spaces on campus and, and also kind of taking over the theater spaces with some moving image, performative light and sound installations, which um, will, again, get people out from behind their computers and, and have a new experience. And to find the artist, do you just do an open call or do you invite? Yeah, so um, again, sort of a, a combination of efforts. One, we um, always have an uh, open submission um, process, um, which is, you know, um, quite simple. We really simplified that. Um, and it goes to an exhibitions committee. Um, two, we also have invited artists, um, folks that we are trying to bring in from sort of, you know, other galleries around the region, folks that we'd like to um, tap from outside of the region. You know, we really see ourselves as a, as a you know, a an art convener, as a cultural hub. And so while it's, you know, uh, important for us to showcase local talent, we also want to create new experiences and for folks as well. 
Um, and then lastly, um, students and faculty also um, have opportunities to exhibit and as well as other departments. And so we'll work closely in, in sort of developing a curatorial proposal. Um, but there are a number of ways for folks to be in, involved in, in campus. And, you know, we support um, rigorous, compelling, contemporary leaning artworks. Um, so if you're a conceptual based artist and you work primarily in video or sound, um, we've got a place for you. If you're a traditional painter um, um, type artist, um, we, we embrace that field as well. So uh, we're about ready to wrap up. So give us the, the dates and of the show and uh, the availability, uh, things like that. And then also, uh, what, where would they go online to see it when you eventually get that all put up? Well, the show runs through February 27th. And you can look for uh, the links and uh, the other content at our website, www.chestertonart.org or on our social media sites, which would be Facebook and Instagram. And uh, Lauren, I know that you've already posted quite a few things, some of a, um, some time-lapse of the mm-hmm. exhibit actually going up. Yeah, so um, our uh, website is www.iun.edu forward slash arts. You can just um, type iun.edu and find School of the Arts um, on Facebook and Instagram. Our tag, our profile handle is IUN School of the Arts. Very simple. Um, but again, we are posting tons of images, videos, and we'll have um, as much information available for folks to experience the show, whether in person or, or at home. And I would like to say also that our hours are Monday through Friday, 11 to 4 and on Saturday from 10 to 2. So if you'd like to come out, please know that you will need to wear a mask and we are diligent about offering hand sanitizer and keeping things clean and safe for anybody that would like to come out. And I would also like to thank Lauren for this wonderful collaboration that we've had, um, getting this exhibit in here and getting it up. And we're very grateful to IUN for sponsoring it and helping us get this accomplished. And Kathy, who was here installing, and uh, some of the students that helped. I mean, this was a a big effort, and uh, we are nothing but grateful here at the Chesterton Arts Center. So thank you. Well, we'd like to thank uh, Wendy Marciniak from the Chesterton Arts Center, President, and Lauren Pacheco of IU School of Arts, Director of Arts Programming and Enlightenment, coming on Art in the Air, talking about the pop-up exhibit at the Chesterton Arts Center. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Art in the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week. Art in the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world.